Thank you, Pastor Dave and Sarah, for that ministry in music. Many times in Scripture, we read of extraordinary, even miraculous events occurring. One can easily get the impression that the miraculous is commonplace, that everything always turns out hunky-dory in the end for those who place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. However, we are explicitly warned in the Scriptures against reading the Scripture in that fashion. For example, in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, we have that great chapter known as the Heroes of the Faith and their exploits and God's wonderful deliverance for saint after saint in the book of Hebrews. And it would, easy, would be easy to come to the conclusion that if you have enough faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you never have to worry about not being delivered from hardship or difficulty. But in Hebrews chapter 11, it ends with these words. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. All of these were commended for their faith, and yet they had very miserable and hard and difficult ends. This morning, I want to talk to you about what happens when the chains don't fall off. What happens when the chains don't fall off? One of the miraculous events that is recorded in the book of Acts resulted in the salvation of the Philippian jailer. The conversion of the Philippian jailer was extremely important to the founding of the church at Philippi. As Pastor mentioned, this morning I'm starting a series on the book of Philippians. And to really understand Philippians, you need to know the background out of which it has been written. And the primary circumstance that uh, led to the authorship of the book of Philippians is Paul's imprisonment. Paul's imprisonment. The conversion of the Philippian jailer was extremely important in the founding of the church at Philippi. My, what an incredible testimony he had. How he must love to recite the things that God had done in his life and the wonderful experiences he had. Just this past week, uh, Ray Arnold gave his testimony in prayer meeting. And he said that there was nothing extraordinary or unique about Ray's testimony. Well, everything is extraordinary and unique about the testimony of the Philippian jailer. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. And I briefly want to look at the account of the salvation experience of the Philippian jailer. 
We find out in Acts chapter 16, verse 9, that Paul had come to Philippi as the result of a vision he had while he was in Troas. There's absolutely no question that Paul is in the will of God. Acts 16, 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help me. Verse 11. Therefore, putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. So Paul goes to Philippi as the result of a heavenly vision that he received. No question that he is in the will and purpose of God. While at Philippi, in preaching and teaching the word of God, Paul and Silas experienced persecution. Look at verse 22 of Acts 16. And the crowd rose up together against them. And the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now there is a series of very extraordinary events. There is an earthquake. The prison itself is shaking. The doors of the prison flew open, and the chains of the prisoners fell off. Look at verse 26. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. The chains fell off. The effect of all this was the conversion of the Philippian jailer. Verse 27. And when the jailer had been roused out of sleep and had seen the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about ready to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. According to Roman law, if these prisoners would have escaped on his watch, then he would have been guilty and punishable by death. And rather than being put to death by the Roman authorities, this man was ready to commit suicide. But Paul stops him and says, there's nothing to fear. Verse 28. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we all are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved in your household. And then down to verse 34. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. He rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. This is the background to the founding of the church in Philippi. It is through the Philippian jailer and Lydia and her friends 
that the church at Philippi was started. It is to these people who know these outstanding events that Paul is writing. We need to ask ourselves, are the events of Paul's imprisonment at Philippi normative of how God works and saves people? Is this an example of the kinds of things that we can expect God to do if we are imprisoned? Is this the way in which God is going to save people? Are we to always suspect that the chains are going to fall off in the times of hardship? Does it mean that if the chains don't fall off, that we're outside the will of God, distant from his purposes? Or that God is not at work when the chains don't fall off? Or that people will not be saved if the chains don't fall off? What happens after Paul leaves Philippi? Well, he goes on his third missionary journey. And on his third missionary journey, Paul experiences opposition once again. And this time, he's thrown into prison in Rome for two years. For two years. Now turn with me to Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. When Paul writes to the Philippians, he's in prison. Look at verse 7 of chapter 1. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. In my imprisonment. Verse 13. So that my imprisonment and the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. Verse 17. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. This time, the chains didn't fall off. This time, there's no earthquake. This time, the doors don't fly open. This time, Paul is in prison and he stayed in prison. What is the church to think about that? How are they to be relating to that experience? The Philippian jailer had made it clear to everyone who had been a part of that congregation of the miracle-working God that they worshipped and how demonstrably God was at work and, and, and did the unbelievable and the unthinkable. And so this Philippian jailer put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But now the chains didn't fall off. So, what does that mean for their testimony? What does that mean for their understanding of the purpose and will of God? What does that mean for their own experience? Well, as Paul writes the book of Philippians, there are a number of issues that are going to be addressed. There are a number of occasions, if you will. 
One is that Paul was planning to visit Philippi if and when he was acquitted. Verse 24. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. He writes to tell them that Timothy is going to be sent to the Philippians in the intervening period. Philippians 2.19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. Next, that Paul was sending their messenger Epaphroditus back to the Philippians. Philippians 2.25. But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. That the Philippians must be on guard against false teachers in his absence. Chapter 3, verse 2. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. That the quarreling among the women at Philippi must stop. Philippians 4.2. I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. And that Paul uses this as an opportunity to thank the Philippians for the gift that they sent to him while he was in prison. Philippians 4.15 through 18. But the main issue in the book of Philippians is Paul's imprisonment and the reaction that the Philippians are to have to that imprisonment. All these other things actually are going to flow out of that experience. And uh, I'm going to work hard to to show you the the interaction as we work through the book of Philippians because it's really rather fascinating and it's very instructive. What happens when the chains don't fall off. The main thought, the overarching lesson that we're to get from the book of Philippians is that we are to rejoice in our God when the chains fall off and when they don't fall off. Look at Philippians 1.18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice. Philippians 2.17 But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Paul is rejoicing in his imprisonment. Paul is rejoicing when the chains don't fall off. And he is encouraging, exhorting the Philippians to rejoice with him. So, let's look quickly at the reasons why we are to rejoice when the chains don't fall off. First, we rejoice when the chains don't fall off because God is still in control. Look at verse 12 of chapter 1. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. I want you to know that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Though Paul was bound, the gospel was not bound. And though Paul was not delivered... Yet, the gospel was going forth more powerfully and more effectively than ever before. And you see, that seems to run absolutely contrary to their experience. The Philippian jailer, why was he saved? 
He could easily attribute that to the fact that the chains fell off. Paul's deliverance. Seeing Paul delivered, why God did a great work in his heart and he exercised faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it would be easy to assume that if somebody's going to be saved, you've got to have that kind of demonstration of power. You've got to have that kind of deliverance. You've got to see the glory of God revealed in this mighty way. I mean, think of it. Imagine what it must have been like for that, that jailer who hears Paul singing and, and praising God. And all of a sudden, this earthquake comes so violently that the, the whole building shakes. That's enough to scare you out of your wits right there. And then the prison doors just fly open. And all the chains of these prisoners fall off. And the person cries out, What must I do to be saved? Will somebody be saved without those accompanying circumstances? Will somebody be saved when the person sits in a jail cell, no earthquake, no doors flying open, and no chains falling off. Paul begins by saying, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have fallen out for the progress of the gospel. I want you to know that this isn't a defeat. I want you to know that, that God has not failed. I want you to know that the saving power of God is not limited to His miraculous, miraculous displays of deliverance. But God is at work even when the chains don't fall off. Secondly, when the chains don't fall off, God's purposes are still being accomplished. When the chains don't fall off, God's purposes are still being accomplished. The gospel has spread as a result of Paul's imprisonment to places it would not have been spread otherwise. Look at Philippians 1.13. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Paul said that one of the results of his imprisonment was that his testimony had spread through the Praetorian Guard. They were the elite Guard. They were the Navy SEALs. They were the Green Berets. They were the, the expert troops of their day. They would be the higher echelon. These are people that would not have been at Paul's meetings when he was sharing the gospel. They wouldn't have been at the synagogue. They wouldn't have come under the sound of the preaching of the word of God. And Paul says, I have the privilege of reaching them. I've been chained to some of them. And they had to sit with me all day and listen to why I'm here. My testimony, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And, according to the book of Acts, Paul later was given the opportunity to have visitors. And they would come. And they would talk with Paul. And these people were hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, Paul's imprisonment has resulted not in the people of God being discouraged, but rather being encouraged. Look at verse 14. And that most of the brethren, trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Now notice in verse 14, it says, And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment. It seems as though there are a number of people that have come to faith in Jesus Christ because of Paul's imprisonment. Because they are hearing his testimony, because they are hearing the gospel, and they have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it results in the fact that they were not discouraged, but encouraged, and they began to speak the word of God without fear. They were bolstered by Paul. They saw what the worst that Rome could do. And they saw Paul triumph over it. His spirit, his audacity, his confidence, his assurance. And they were greatly encouraged. And they went out and started telling other people about Paul. Not about doors flying open. Not about chains falling off. But a man who is so convinced of the truth of the word of God. That he refuses to be silenced. And continues to rejoice and give praise to God is able to take the worst that all that Rome can throw at him. Continues to preach and teach the gospel. As a result, many people now are speaking without fear. Now, more people are preaching the gospel than ever before. Notice verse 15 of chapter 1. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So so some are preaching Christ out of good motives. Because they love Paul and they love the gospel. Philippians 1.17, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Some people think that they're going to do harm to Paul. By sharing his testimony. Some people are going to be framing it in the negative. Do you know what that prisoner is doing over there? Do you know that he's still preaching the gospel? Do you know he's still talking about Christ? Do you know that he's still professing the resurrection? Do you know that people come and he is telling them? And as they are recounting, they're actually sharing the gospel. And they're actually making Paul's testimony known. Thinking that they're going to make it more difficult for him. Paul says, you know, I don't care. I don't care why the word is getting out. 
Verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. And this I rejoice. The good news is getting out. For whatever reason. And I'm thankful for that. So, Paul sees his imprisonment as a furtherance of the gospel. He sees it as being instrumental in the work of God. He sees it as being every bit as foundational, every bit as important, every bit as critical to the church at Rome as the deliverance in Philippi was to the Philippian church. God works in many different ways. You can't put them in a box. You can't say, oh, God works this way. Or God works that way. Sometimes the chains fall off. Sometimes they don't. But God is in control whether they fall off or not. So, when the chains don't fall off, Paul is still rejoicing in what God is doing. Look at verse 18, Philippians 1. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, in this I rejoice. And now the statement, yes, and I will rejoice. I rejoice now and I will continue to rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. Paul is rejoicing in how the gospel is being spread. And Paul is rejoicing in what God is doing in Paul's life. Look at verse 19. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything. Notice the way in which this deliverance is pictured. That I shall not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness, Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says, I believe God is going to enable me to give glory to God and be an instrument of His grace, whether I live or die. Whether I'm delivered, released, which he goes on to say, that he expects that will happen because it's far better for the Philippians. Or if he doesn't get released. If he continues in prison. If he, if he actually has to die. And Paul says, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. That's, that's even better still. So Paul is rejoicing. Paul is rejoicing. Philippians 2.17 but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice in your service of faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. So, conclusion. What are the Philippians to do? Here's the overview of the book of Philippians. The Philippians are to rejoice as well. Look at Philippians 2.18. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Rejoice with me. 
Be happy with me. Enter into my joy. As you think of my imprisonment, don't be disillusioned. Don't be fearful. Don't ask, where is God now? Don't come to the conclusion that the sky is falling or that the evil one has gotten the victory. But share and enter into my joy and my rejoicing. The sum and substance of this letter is to encourage the Philippians not to murmur and complain, but rather to rejoice. Look at Philippians 3.1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Here's the application. Finally, my brethren. This is my last point, Paul is saying. Here's the big application to the conclusion of the book. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Look at me at Philippians 2.13. Why? Philippians 2.13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. One of the things that you know that I love about the Word of God is its proclamation of God's sovereignty. God is control over all things. Satan cannot do a thing to us that God doesn't grant him permission to do. That's the book of Job. He has to ask God permission. Whatever comes into our lives are the result of God's activity. Whatever it is, all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Whatever it is. One of my favorite verses is found in the book of Thessalonians. And it's a very misunderstood verse. For this is the verse. And everything give thanks. For this is the will of God concerning you. Misunderstanding. God's will for you is to give thanks in everything. That's not what that verse means. The verse says, in everything give thanks because what's happening is God's will. Whatever you are experiencing in your life, you can say, thank you God, for this is your will. I take great solace in knowing that whatever difficulty comes into my life, it is not ultimately the result of some human being, some earthly power, or even the fallen angelic realm. This is God at work. Paul was able to rejoice because he realized that his imprisonment was in keeping with the purpose and will of God. God wasn't overpowered. There was not some coup in heaven and God was cast off his throne. God's purposes were being fulfilled. Rejoice in the Lord. Take courage 
in Him. Look at Philippians 2.13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Don't fight. Because God is at work. And then look at verse 15. That you may prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. You're going to be a light in this world if you don't grumble and you, and you don't complain. And you go to work, all you hear is grumbling and complaining. You go to school, all you hear is grumbling and complaining. All you hear are people grumbling and complaining about their circumstances, about their health, about the economy, about the weather, you name it. And Paul says, you want to be a light? You want to shine? You want to be different? You want to stand out? It's not by the chains falling off. It's not by the doors opening. It's by having a spirit of rejoicing in the midst of hardship and difficulty. Remember that Paul is rejoicing in the prison before the chains fall off. It's midnight, and he and Silas are praising God, and the prisoners are listening to him, and then the chains fall off. I believe that the most powerful testimony that you can have is to go through hardship and difficulty and praise God in the midst of it. I think one of the most powerful stories in all the Word of God is the the story of Job. All the suffering that he experienced. And how even in the very day that his children died, he worshipped God. He worshipped God. He said, shall we not receive bad from God, just good? He submitted himself to the purpose and will of God. What a powerful testimony. I think people will come up to ask and ask us, really, what must I do to be saved when they witness that kind of strength, that kind of power? For it is just as unique. It is just as demonstrable as the chains falling off. So, may God give us the grace to rejoice in the time of adversity. So, Philippians 4.4 Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You see how it just permeates the entire epistle? It's going to cover every section. Whether it be these women that are disputing, whether it be these false teachers, whether it be Epaphroditus' sickness, whatever it is, Paul's saying, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And if you rejoice, it's the solution to all these ills. 
May God give us grace to rejoice in our circumstances this morning. Paul writes in Philippians 4.11 Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. God has taught me how to handle prosperity and how to handle adversity. Each has its own temptation. There are temptations with being rich. There are temptations with being fit as a fiddle. The temptation is to forget about God, to use your wealth to to go and, and to do and not be involved in church, not be involved in worship. Our, our wealth can take us away. Our adversity, our poverty, our ill health can cause us to rise up and charge God with folly. What we need to do is learn how to handle prosperity and how to handle adversity. How to handle good health And how to handle ill health. How to persevere in such a way that our circumstances don't determine our trust in Jesus Christ. That we don't use our circumstances as tea leaves to ascertain whether we're in or outside the will of God. That we don't use our circumstances to ascertain whether God loves us or doesn't care for us. And we don't use our circumstances and say they are going to dictate to us our reaction. And that God can't use this circumstance to his honor and glory. Paul writes and says in Philippians 4.13, that great verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I hope through the study of Philippians that we are going to be a people that rejoice more. That are content more. That we so focus on Jesus Christ, His power, His glory, His purpose, that we don't let our circumstances dictate our frame of mind. May God grant us that ability. It's, it's a wonderful book. It's an encouraging book. It's a helpful book. And I'm looking forward to spending the weeks and going through this book with you verse by verse. And I'll start back at chapter 1, verse 1, and even go through these verses that I already did. But I wanted to get this over, overview of rejoicing in the Lord, even when the chains don't fall off. Let's pray.